and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott Miller, and I am honored each week to serve as your host and moderator. Today, our guest is the founder of It Cosmetics, Jamie Kern Lima, and the author of the new number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Believe It, How to Go from Underestimated to Unstoppable. And just to give you some sense for Jamie's impact, these are some of the friends of hers that have endorsed her book. Jay Shetty, Brendan Bouchard, Victoria Osteen, Sarah Blakely from Spanx, Ellen DeGeneres, Mel Robbins. She is in great company today. Welcome, Jamie, to On Leadership. Thank you for joining us. Scott, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I want to thank you for having the wisdom to match the color of your book to my glasses and my cufflinks today. And I see that you've got a, a coffee mug. Give a little uh, branding of your coffee mug for a moment there. Love the <laughs> coffee mug. You know you've made it when your coffee mug matches your book. I love it. <laughs> Leadership all the way down to marketing of the coffee cup. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Jamie, such an honor to have you joining us today. Your story is remarkable. I was captivated reading your book. And I saw a lot of my own entrepreneurial successes and messes in your own life. I'm excited today to kind of walk through some of the major milestones, setbacks, wins that you and your team have had by launching and recently selling this massive billion-dollar brand known as It Cosmetics. What I would love to do is not share or spill the secrets of your book yet because all of our worldwide listeners and viewers, if you are facing any diversity, if you have a bit of a crisis of confidence, if you want to learn how to better believe in yourself, then you want to listen to today's program and go buy Jamie's books. In fact, Jamie, talk a bit about where the profits of your books are being funneled. Uh, yeah, so um, 100% of the proceeds, I'm donating 100% of the author proceeds um, of my book to Feeding America and Together Rising. And um, yeah, thank you for having me, Scott. I think so many people see the highlight reel, you know, like uh, girl builds billion dollar empire. And, and after getting messages for years, I just thought if people don't really know and hear the real stories, behind the stories, like the messes, as you would call them. Um, I think that's where the real value is, yeah. right? That's where we all kind of grow together. So super honored to, to share all the real stuff because um, it's not an accident <laughs> that I built a billion dollar business, but it also wasn't easy. And, and I think there's so many lessons on leadership, um, not just leadership on the outside, but really leadership on the inside too, which is, which is all of our greatest obstacles initially, I think. In fact, you're leading an organization that has a thousand employees, and you shared some great leadership lessons around how some of your own professional challenges have tripped you up, right? In terms of your propensity to terminate people not soon enough and the impact that that has on the organization. I think of all the quotes in your book that sum up your brand, your life, your lessons the best are on page 75. I'm going to pitch it to you. And that is, you might be tempted to underestimate me. Let me save you some time. Don't. And I think that is sort of the, the motto of your entire brand. I love that quote. I'm going to shamelessly use it and quote it from you. Jamie, spend a few minutes, if you will, and reorient our listeners and our viewers to your early journey and what came to the, the confidence, the bold confidence that you and your co-founding partner and your husband decided to employ to develop IT Cosmetics. What was the mission? 
Yeah. So, you know, our entire mission started with this season of what I thought was setback in my life. And, um, you know, my, my whole life, I, I wanted to share other people's stories with the world. So when I was a little girl, I'd watch Oprah in my living room and I was eventually working in what I thought was my dream job, um, anchoring the news and, and sharing other people's stories. And I, I got a skin condition called rosacea, which for me, um, it's hereditary. There's no cure for it. Uh, but for me, it gets really, really bad. So I get, uh, red bumps that feel like sandpaper all over my face. And I would be anchoring the news live. I'd be in the middle of the newscast and I'd hear my earpiece from the producer while I was anchoring the news live. I would hear, there's something on your face. you got to wipe it off. you got to wipe it off. Um, and I knew there was nothing I could wipe off. And so it started this sort of season of, of what I thought was setback. And I think, I think Joel Osteen says it best where he says our setbacks are often our setups. Um, for, for what we're supposed to do. And we just don't always see it at the time. And so just by nature of trying to solve my own problems, I started trying to find makeup that, that would work. And I tried everything from the cheapest to the most expensive that was out there. And I couldn't find anything that would work for me. Uh, and I had this big kind of moment, this, this dilemma in my own career where um, I had this, this feeling, right? Sometimes things just start with this gut feeling um, where I was like, I, if I can figure out how to create a product that works for me. I bet it's going to help a whole lot of other people. Um, so that was what my gut told me. <laughs> but then my head said, oh, no, but you're in your dream job. And also, you don't know anyone in the beauty industry or that space at all. And then, of course, all the self-doubt stuff that we all uh, that we all have, right? With the thoughts like, you're not qualified. Are you smart enough? Do you have what it takes? You don't have enough money. All those things. You don't have enough connections. So I went through this phase where I kept having this, this gut feeling like I was supposed to do it, even though it didn't make sense. And it's interesting because I look back now at so many of the key decisions that changed everything, that helped us break through with a business into a crowded industry. It's also a lot of moments where I just chose to trust that intuition over the lack of, of proof of success around me or, or over my own self-doubt or um, all of that. So anyhow, I'm in this moment where I'm like, okay, um, I just had this realization, Scott, that like sometimes in life, knowing when to let go of a dream is as important also as knowing when to go after one. And I made the decision to trust myself. And I was just like, I just can't shake this feeling. I'm supposed to do this. Um, and so on my honeymoon flight to South Africa, <laughs> um, my husband and I both wrote the business plan, came back, quit our jobs, went all in. And the mission, um, I would say there's so many things that I, I did wrong on the journey, right? Messes, as, as you would say. And I talk about all those for the first time ever. because I think it's so important. Um, I think when we are able to really reflect and dissect how did an idea break through a crowded industry, become a billion-dollar company, I think sharing all the parts that went wrong is really important, too. So I do that in the book as well. Um, but when we we got back, we quit our jobs, went all in on this, this brand, and I had this big, big, big mission, right? You have interviewed so many thought leaders that talk about identifying your why as a business, as an individual with a goal. And, you know, of all the things that I did wrong, which were many in the journey, one of the things that I, I did right was from the beginning, um, like I could have had a why that was, oh, I want to solve my own skin problems or, oh, I want to help so many other uh, women who have the same challenges and can't find makeup that works for them. And both of those things would sound really great and be great whys. But 
what I know now is those wouldn't have been deep enough uh, to keep me going and keep all of our eventual thousand plus employees focused because those whys weren't actually deep and meaningful enough. And one of the things that I did right that I really encourage everyone to do as a leader, as an individual human being with goals um, is, you know, I took this, this why and I peeled back the layers of it and went really, really deep. And I did that from the beginning, almost to the why beneath the why. And for me, here's, here's what I realized, Scott, is, wow, why can't I find makeup that works for me, right? Why can't I find a product that works for me? I realized my whole life, every time I had seen TV commercials or ads in magazines, I, I never saw anyone that, you know, had skin problems like I did. I always saw, you know, models with, with flawless skin. And uh, so, which, which when you see those ads, you don't even know if they're really wearing the product they're selling. You don't know any of that, right? But when I peeled back the layers, I realized, oh, my whole life, seeing, seeing these ads of, of what the world tells me beauty is, I always aspired to look like them. Like I loved, I loved those ads as a little girl, but they also always kind of made me feel deep down inside like I wasn't enough. And when I realized that, I created this mission around the company not just to create great products that work and do what they say, but to actually try to shift culture in the beauty industry around how they how the beauty industry defines beauty altogether. And so I had this vision from the beginning because this wasn't being done at the time. What if I put real people as models, all ages, shapes, sizes, skin tones, skin challenges, show my own uh, what the world tells me are flaws, right? My own bright red rosacea and take my own makeup off and show how the product works. What if I can call all of these real people beautiful and mean it? And what if I can help shift the way the entire beauty industry sees beauty for every little girl out there who is about to start doubting herself when she sees the ads and the way it's been done and for every grown woman who still does. So it was this deep why. And one thing I, I just want to share on the topic of leadership is identifying like the why beneath the why I think is so important because I think a lot of people stop at a why that sounds good or looks good on their mission statement wall, but really going deep with it and seeing if you can peel back the layers more. What I didn't know at the time was having that deep why would help sustain me during what was gonna be three years of not being able to pay myself. Um, three years of, of hundreds of no's, right? Because when we finally poured all the money we had into creating a product that worked, I just thought, oh, it's gonna sell. Everyone's gonna love it. And then what I encountered was all of the retailers in the beauty space who I, I love them, shopped, have shopped in them my whole life. All of them said no, or that you know no one will buy makeup from models that aren't aspirational traditionally or change the packaging so it's more luxurious. It was no after no after no after no um, for three years. And we got down to no money. And, you know, I had this really deep, authentic, foundational why for why I was doing what I was doing that I knew it needed to, to change. I knew the industry needed to change and it helped me keep going. But also every time one of those retailers would say, change who you are and what you're doing if you want to get into our stores. Um, I, I was super clear <laughs> on the vision. And I know you can't fake authenticity. So 
So in those years of constant rejection and, and it, having that why beneath the why really helped me. It helped me lean. I leaned on it every time I would get knocked down. I needed to get back up. And then eventually, <laughs> without skipping over a million stories, but just to, just to share this part, when we grew to over a thousand employees and we eventually grew to the largest, right now, as you and I are speaking, it Cosmetics is the largest luxury makeup company in the country. But that why beneath the why, I eventually had it on little frames on every single employee's desk. Hmm. Some people had it as their screensaver. It became this guiding force on how we make decisions across departments whether it's do we launch a new product or not, or do we have a certain messaging, or how do we build our teams out? So super important part in terms of the mission for, for everything. And that was really foundational from the very, very beginning. Jamie, you are a superb storyteller. Your positivity and inspiration is contagious. I love this quote from Jill Osteen. You say, sometimes our setbacks become our setups. I've also heard it sometimes a disappointment leads into an appointment. Before we talk about IT Cosmetics, I'd like you to rewind a bit and share this concept that I first learned in your book, and that is that you were kind of always on a quest for achievement, and it was sort of how you were finding love. I mean, you were an early in life, you were, you were a very driven person. You were the high school valedictorian, you had a 4.0, you went on to become Miss Washington, you competed in the Miss USA pageant, you were a well-accomplished television journalist, Unpack this insight that you share around how perhaps your achievement of accomplishments and accolades was an attempt to find love. Yeah, I uh, lifelong journey on figuring that one out. And um, yeah, so I, w I went through growing up with parents who worked super hard, like really, really hard. I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. And, you know, I started working really hard at a young age. So pushing grocery carts in the Safeway grocery parking lot. And I eventually was a waitress at Denny's to, to pay my way through school. And I always had, so, so two things on that, Scott. Um, I always had this feeling inside, like even when I was waitressing Denny's, I didn't want, I didn't know one day I would be running a billion dollar company and have a, you know, billion dollar exit to, to L'Oreal and all those other things. But I did know inside that I've, I've always felt, um, I think God makes every one of us special. And I always had this feeling inside, like I was, you know, made for more, whether it was to give or to serve. Um, I had something in me to offer the world, but I, I, I still doubted myself. And for many years of my life, and actually it's probably, a lot of people think my book is just, how did you build a billion dollar company? It's really a book about how do you go from not believing in yourself to believing in yourself and not trusting yourself to trusting yourself and, 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 and hearing your own gut and trusting it. Cause I think that's really foundational for leadership, but also whether you want to build an amazing life or an amazing company um, or an amazing team. Um, but that's very different than this idea of, I, I need to achieve um, to have love, which was a big theme in my life. And I didn't realize that until I was an adult. Um, I grew up with, with parents that worked all the time and I, uh, realized <laughs> not, I wasn't fully aware of this, but when I would achieve something big, um, that was when they would show up. Right. And so I can look back and recognize that now. Um, and what I realized is for a big journey of my life, I equated like, oh, I've got to win um, uh, to matter, or I've got to achieve, uh, to, um, 
to matter, i.e. to feel love, right? So I look back and I realize that was a definite pattern. And I think for every achiever out there, whether they're type three on the Enneagram or they're just simply, you know, so driven, I think the biggest thing that has been, and on top of it all, and I share this in the book for the first time ever, in, in my late 20s, I found out by complete surprise that I was adopted. Um, and I went on this multi-year search trying to find my birth mom and also trying to um, trying to learn how to forgive and all those things. I, so anyone who's ever had kind of the rug pulled out from underneath them <laughs> um, by someone that they thought they knew or, or loved or trusted, I, I talk about that journey of forgiving and healing as well. Um, and, you know, I think that um, it's been a lifelong journey of trying to understand the need to achieve uh, and, and how sometimes we can equate that to love and separating that um, from I'm enough, right? Separating I'm not enough, I need to achieve uh, to find love uh, to I'm enough. And this is going to sound, I guess, soft to talk about, but I think this is an issue that impacts as many men and as, as it does women. I think it's an issue that is especially impacts leaders and CEOs because by nature, they're achievers <laughs> and by nature, they're driven. And one thing I talk about in this book a lot is coming to the realization that when you are an achiever and you're just trying to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, it's never enough. And it never actually brings fulfillment. Um, and until what you're doing is completely bigger than yourself and in service to other people, that's really where joy and fulfillment in life comes in. It's also where joy and fulfillment as a leader comes in. It's where joy and fulfillment uh, for your own teams comes in, right? To go back to like the why beneath the why, I mean, it was so much bigger than ourselves um, to, to shift culture in the whole beauty industry for every little kid is about to start doubting themselves and every grown woman who still does um, is a very big, bigger than ourselves why that every person on our team, once we grew and grew and grew, could deeply identify with. So being in service for something greater than ourselves, I believe is one of the, the, the pieces of our secret sauce that allowed us to enter an industry of giants, pass all of these. People, people used to say you could never break into the beauty industry because all the department store uh, floor space was controlled by a small number of giants, et cetera, et cetera. And we were able to break in and pass all of them. And I believe a big part of that is because the, the authentic reason for why we were doing what we were doing was bigger than ourselves. A lot of companies will have a why that's attached to sales or, you know, they think rewarding employees with bonuses and this and that is enough uh, to have retention. Um, but I really believe how we scaled is because the, the why was so much bigger um, than ourselves in service. Uh, was it was a big component of it and it was authentic right and I think the same thing for anyone who's an achiever in life um, I think the same thing is true is a lot of times people continue who are achiever based continue to accomplish and accomplish and achieve and get praise from the outside world because they have what the world tells them success looks like um, but they're not fulfilled and I think that you know step one is becoming aware of it oh, wow, I actually have thought accomplishment or achievement um, is significance or is love. And being aware of it, being like, that's not true because, and we know it's not true because it never feels fulfilling when, when we achieve another thing, right? And then 
taking the step beyond to realize like, oh yeah, when I, when I live my life in service of others, when I approach the day with um, how can I give, how can I serve, um, who, I think it was my friend Brandon Burchard that said like, when you walk in a room, instead of saying, look at me, um, you say, I see you, right? When we switch our mindset to that, whether it is in the workplace or in our daily lives, I think that is one of the foundational steps to overcoming that whole achiever thing because, and it doesn't mean you're less competitive um, at all, at all, but it means that your, your competition shifts. And what I mean by that is I talk a lot in the book about this journey of competition, this journey of how I saw the competitive landscape, um, this journey of how I made sure I didn't get distracted by what our competition was doing and let it tempt me or my teams to dilute their own secret sauce. And I talk a lot and believe it about realizing, like really realizing this lesson that I believe in every ounce of my being, which is that as individuals, we're not here on this earth to compete with anyone else. We're here to compete with the person God made us capable of becoming, right? And when I think of who God made me capable of becoming, I know I'm nowhere there yet. And I know that person, while I want to give and serve and all that, who he made me capable of becoming kind of has nothing to do with uh, titles or accolades or things I achieve or money in the bank. It's, am I serving at the highest level? Am I using everything that he gave me to be, to live in a life of service that actually makes a difference for other people? And so for me, when we measure our own um, achievement that way, that's when it becomes fulfilling. Um, and so it's been a big life lesson for me. And I still right now, and I'm sure Scott, you do as well, know so many people that the world tells them every day <laughs> that what they're doing is successful, but they're not happy. And I think it's because they haven't crossed that threshold from achievement uh, for themselves to none of those things matter. What matters is, am I, am I living a life in service that, that's greater than myself? Am I using all the gifts and talents that I've been blessed to be born with? to live a life in service and, and make a difference. And that can come at the core of every for-profit company and for-profit leader, as well as, of course, nonprofit and everything else. But that that's an internal, like leadership is an internal job first. Jamie, so beautifully said. I'd like to take a few moments and talk about the pivot that your QVC experience had in so many areas of your life. You know, you have yeah. built this company. You had so many no's, no's from... Sephora, nose from Ulta Beauty, nose from Nordstrom, nose from every department store. No, no, no. You had one or two sales a week. You were struggling. You and your husband had spent every dollar you had. And you have a really kind of bootstrap entrepreneurial story. And um, you've been knocking on QVC's doors for several years. And the, the, the chief there said, thank you, but no thank you. And you were persistent. And you would send samples to every beauty buyer in America. And I saw many of my own entrepreneurial uh, setbacks in your story as well. More on that on a different podcast someday. And then something happened after literally you have been told no hundreds of times. You had made thousands of cold calls and emails and shipping samples, not hundreds, thousands of outreaches. And you get a sale here and you get a sale there, like a sale on your website. Something changed. I'd like you to share the QVC opening don't let the cat out of the bag yet, but talk a bit about what was the turning point. Maybe take a minute or less on the QVC opportunity. 
Yeah. So exactly what you just said, hundreds of no's for three years. We got down to under $1,000 in our bank account, which was our company bank account and personal combined. Um, and uh, I eventually, and to your point, I kept sending over and over. And one thing I want to call out on that, Scott, that I think is really important is in business, I think it is so important not to take rejection personally. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and even a lot of leaders do. Um, had I taken any of the no's personally or become resentful over them, I would have never been able to turn them into glorious yeses. Um, but yeah, so we heard no from QVC for years. And I always had this feeling like, oh my gosh, they're live in front of 100 million homes, right? A live TV shopping channel. And you can't Photoshop live TV. And I can go on the air and prove my product works. When, when I felt like nothing else would work for me, I have something that works. I can prove it. So I always had this feeling like, let me connect live with real people, you know, and show them. And I just was so passionate about it. I had this feeling. But every time I'd reach out to them or send them products or get them on the phone, it was always a no. It was, no, you're not the right fit for us or for QVC. Um, and, and by the way, a lot of times when we get no's, especially more than one, um, we start to think like, oh, maybe uh, I was wrong. Maybe my gut was wrong. Or maybe my idea isn't good. Um, and every time I would get a no, like, of course, there were nights I would cry myself to sleep, to be honest. Like, I had, I finally, Scott, got the head guy of QVC, who's a, Alan Burke is his name, visionary, legend. He's responsible for getting all the fancy department store brands onto QVC. So he's built a, a multi-billion dollar uh, uh, division there in beauty. I finally got him on the phone and um, and I was like trying to muster up all the confidence I, I can and do my power poses, all that kind of stuff on the phone. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, I want to thank you for all of your samples you've sent us. He says, I met with all of the buyers and I, I need to let you know it's unanimous. Uh, it's a no. You're not the right fit for, for us or for, for QVC. And, and, you know, I was like, tears are streaming down my face. I'm hoping he's not realizing I'm crying. And I go right into repitching myself. I'm like, oh, but Alan... Um, we are the right fit for QVC. Let me let me explain. Your customers are going to love our products. You're just pouring my heart out. And he thanked me for loving QVC and said it's a no. And I just remember that night, literally, like, I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't know how we were going to stay in business at that point. Um, just crying myself to sleep. And, um, you know, I would write things in my journal. And I remember that night I wrote... Um, know your why and fly girl fly and i read that every day until i didn't need the reminder anymore and i just made this decision scott to believe it was going to happen like i just decided it was going to and and just to share this part of it every follow-up email probably some of these buyers may, maybe thought i was crazy at that part, but i just made this decision i wasn't going to get resentful no matter how you know some of them had really hurtful no's that they said some were yeah. But anyways, after everyone, I would follow up with an email thanking them, letting them know I can't wait till we are in their stores. And so um, after all of this, um, and by the way, the Allen Burke story is one of the most beautiful full circle leadership stories and business um, that I've ever experienced. And I share it in the book about what ended up happening with him after we launched QVC, how to this day, he is one of my closest friends and mentors. Um, it's, it's a really cool story. Anyways, it's, it's really a story on how to navigate um, relationships 
in business and in life, which I think are so important and key to every organization. Um, but we eventually uh, were at this huge trade show and uh, demonstrating our product with 6,000 other women there. And a QVC host came up to the booth and I didn't recognize her actually. And she'd been there 17 years and she tried our product. And I kept sneaking away from my booth because QVC had a huge booth there. And I was trying to actually get up to someone in person to, to make another pitch. Um, and it's a long story. Uh, that's a full circle God story, actually, that I share in the book. But we eventually, um, we eventually got a yes um, to get one shot on QVC. Um, so imagine, as Scott mentioned, we're doing two to three orders a day on our website, Maps. Um, we're literally down to under $1,000 in our bank account. And we finally got this really big yes um, to get one shot on QVC. And what that meant was, and this was a consignment deal, consignment so if it didn't sell we had to take it back and weren't paid for it and we got this one uh, shot of this 10 minute window to go on and present my one product my concealer um, called bye bye under eye and either hit their sales goal or not come back um, and this scott was really one of the greatest life and business lessons i've ever learned was what happened in that one moment because what i learned was we'd have 10 minutes I'd be live on television in front of 100 million homes, and uh, we would have to sell over 6,000 units. So remember, we're only doing two to three orders a day on our website that we're packing in our living room, literally. And I and this is three years into the business, and we had to sell over 6,000 units in this 10-minute window to hit their sales goal or not come back. Um, and uh, so everything was on the line. Um, we applied for uh, 22 SBA loans that said no, the 23rd bank said yes, and they funded the inventory just enough to for the QVC purchase order for that very first airing. And here's, here's what became tough. And I think all of us know our values. We know what we stand for, we know what we believe in. But as leaders, as CEOs, as entrepreneurs, and as human beings, we all face moments when our values are challenged or we know the right thing to do, but all of a sudden it's the really, it's the hardest thing to do. And that's what happened to me. And what I mean by that is, you know, we had this, um, the, the 10 minutes, right? So in preparing for this 10 minute segment, um, we hired third party consultants that are experts at selling uh, on television and they help all of these brands sell on TV and in stores. And they all told me the same thing. They said, okay, you got one shot, you have 10 minutes, everything's on the line. If you, if you want our very best advice, here's what you need to do. You need to book this type of model, right? And they were all models of perfect skin that all look the same. And I'm like, okay, but here's the why, here's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, this company. Like, and I would say to them, what if I take my makeup off? on national television show, because then I can prove live that the product actually works. And they were mortified at this idea, right? Because this has not been done before. And I said, and I want to put real women, you know, all ages, uh, uh, shapes, sizes, skin tones. And, uh, and, 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 and I would argue with them and say, because here's the thing, here's the thing in business and, leader, and in leadership. So often people only see the way things have always been done. And even though they're visionaries, they still have a hard time imagining something being successful if it hasn't been done before. And they'd never admit that, right? But sometimes when there's no social proof in their subconscious that an idea is gonna work, they don't think it's gonna work because it's never been done before. And 
if I had learned that lesson sooner, <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot of nights crying myself to sleep. But all of these experts are saying, here's what you need. And they meant so well. They wanted me to win, right? They wanted me to win. And they're giving me their best advice. And they're like, here's what you need to do. You need to have this type of model because that's what works. And I just, Scott, I flew out to QVC is in, in uh, Pennsylvania, Westchester, Pennsylvania, about 30 minutes west of Philly. And I flew out there a week before our one shot. Because I knew, I knew, Scott, that this 10-minute window, I knew <laughs> that either, because we were risking it all, right? I knew that, like, the next time I walked in that QVC building, I was going to walk out with my whole life changed or bankrupt and my whole life changed. Everything was online. So I flew out there a week early, and I sat in this rental car in the parking lot and all alone. And I literally just watched the front door of the QVC building, and I went through I visualized, you know, the way Olympic athletes visualize themselves on the podium or landing the triple axle. Like I visualized the big sold out sign coming up across the screen. I prayed, I cried. I had moments of self-doubt where I thought, well, you know what? Maybe if I do it their way to start and then I don't go bankrupt and I, then maybe I try it my authentic way later. Like I had, I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I had those thoughts of, well, what if I am wrong? What if my gut is wrong? For three years, no one has told me I'm right. And we're only doing two to three orders a day on my website. And I think it, for me, it was one of the most defining leadership moments, frankly, because leadership really starts as an inside job where I sat there and my gut told me one thing uh, and other people were telling me another and everything was on the line. And I couldn't try it both ways. And I know you can't fake authenticity. Like, I know that. I, I believe that even though authenticity alone doesn't guarantee success in life or business, inauthenticity guarantees failure. I believe that. So it was like I knew what I had to do, but it was hard. And I knew, um, and, you know, I imagined who my customer was. And I think this is so important. I think as we're in a day and age where people are finally starting to realize, oh, <laughs> we need to really know who our customer is. Our boardrooms should look like our customer looks. Our leadership teams should look like our customer looks, right? In that moment, I remember sitting in that car thinking, even though all these experts aren't you know, thinking this way, I'm like, I know who my customer is. And I imagine that woman on the other end of the TV and I literally put myself in her shoes. And for whatever reason, I kept imagining um, a single mom in Nebraska folding laundry who had was so busy, she had forgotten that she matters and she had forgotten that she's beautiful. And every ounce, I'll never forget this feeling in that car because I was torn on what to do. And I realized, you know what? I know my why <laughs> and I would rather have her, if she's gonna bless me with two seconds of her time, I would rather have her turn her television on, see me showing real women that look like her, calling them beautiful and meaning it. I'd rather have her for a, a second remember that she matters and that she's beautiful. Even if she buys nothing, I'd rather do that and stand for something than sell a whole bunch of product one time and stand for nothing. So I knew what I had to do. Um, but when we know what we have to do, sometimes it's not easy. And when I walked into that building, uh, it was <laughs> the biggest risk I've ever had because everything was on the line. And I, I walked into the studio and Scott, that big uh, clock, there's that huge clock on the floor. And we had 10 minutes 
And I knew, and by the way, Scott, you, you, you might know this, but I had learned this shortly before going on QVC. You're not even guaranteed the 10 minutes. If the clock starts and it's like 9.59, 9.58, if you're not selling well in the first minute or two, your clock cuts and you're boom, all of a sudden you have two minutes and you're like, I just lost eight minutes and, and a lot of money. And so everything was really on the line. And, and the moment the 10 minute clock started, and it was 9.59, 9.58, um, all, I was shaking. It was a hot mess, to be honest. I was so, wasn't nervous for TV. I was, everything was on the line. Um, and I remember the moment uh, my bright red bare face before a shot came up on national TV. And I went over to women of all ages and shapes and sizes with real, real normal <laughs> skin challenges like hyperpigmentation and acne and all the things and and uh, called them beautiful and meant it. And I remember at the um, the last few few or it's like a minute left maybe, and the the host says the deep shade's almost gone, the tan shade's almost sold out. And I was like, and then at the ten minute mark, that huge sold out sign that I had envisioned, that huge sold out sign comes up across the screen. And tears start streaming down <laughs> from my face. I remember they cut, um, and I don't think it was like Dyson vacuum or Vitamix blender or something. And my husband comes running through the double doors and I'm like crying and I'm like, real women have spoken. And he's like, we're not going bankrupt. And uh, it was this whole thing. And that one airing, that one shot turned into five shows that year, 101 the next year. And we eventually built um, the biggest beauty brand in QVC's history. And it is right now to this day. And I did over a thousand live shows myself. Um, and I only share that because it was it was three years of, of no's and also of everyone around me and every expert around me telling me to do things the way they had only ever been done to succeed we never could have built the largest beauty brand in the country right now and luxury makeup company in the country. We never would have been acquired by L'Oreal for $1.2 billion if I didn't stick to that authentic uh, uh, mission, even though it was doing things differently than what was being done at the time. I, we would have never created anything of value that was worth someone acquiring if we had changed everything we were doing to fit in and to make everyone else happy. And so I think as leaders, as entrepreneurs, as visionaries, as human beings, knowing we have seeds of greatness inside of us, I think I think the greatest journey in life isn't, oh, you sold your company for a billion dollars. It's learning to trust, learning to hear yourself, to trust and to trust yourself um, on the journey, no matter the outcome. I think that is is the greatest the greatest victory for, for all of us. Jimmy, it's a compelling story. What you share with a lot of successful entrepreneurs is most of us only hear the $1.2 billion sale to L'Oreal. They don't realize that you had hundreds and thousands of no's for years and years and you were selling one or two product a day for years and down to your last $1,000. You applied to 20 plus SBA loans. They all said no. Finally, the last one said yes so that you could go all in on the inventory for QVC and then own it all if you didn't sell it all. And you have now been on hundreds of podcasts for this book that you're donating to a great philanthropic organization. One of the big insights I took away from the QVC experience was that you said every time you hit a goal, you never felt joy, but rather you felt relief. Mm -hmm. And that really hit me because like you, I am a small budding entrepreneur with some one or two orders coming in a day, right? And I'm looking long-term at my own success. And I wanna feel joy 
and accomplishing goals, not relief, but I do feel relief. I don't feel the joy. Speak to everyone listening and watching right now that has a dream, that has a side hustle, that has an entrepreneurial business. Maybe they're perhaps just full-time employees in a company. They're an intrapreneur inside a bigger company, and you want them to feel joy, not relief, when they accomplish a goal. How did you cross that bridge from relief to finding joy? Yeah, I, I was in a long stretch of burnout, self-imposed burnout, um, and I talk a lot about, about work addiction and busyness addiction, <laughs> which are like other forms of addiction where they almost numb us and separate us from ourselves. I talk about realizing I was doing a lot of it wrong. Um, I talk about how I don't believe I needed to do 100-hour weeks for 10 years to build a billion-dollar company. Um, but my journey was after three years of, of hundreds and hundreds of no's, when we finally started getting success, I almost for a while couldn't believe it, right? Part of my journey is going is, is, is learning to believe I'm worthy of my own success, of, 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 of being in my own skin, of being in my own body, of all of those things. Um, I talk a lot in the book about self-doubt, body doubt, God doubt, all of that stuff. Because, I, again, I think leadership starts on the inside. Um, and I, um, I realized, Scott, that, you know, because I had heard no for so long, when we started getting yeses and all this momentum was happening and we started winning awards everywhere and that, you know, getting into all these big beauty stores. And, you know, when we hit number one on QVC, I always felt like, oh my gosh, I've got to strike while the iron's hot. Um, this mm -hmm. might all come cr crashing down at any moment, mm -hmm. God forbid. Like I would have those thoughts, mm -hmm. which are a form of imposter syndrome of, am I worthy of this success? Do I deserve this? Am I qualified to have it? Right. And I had to really go through this emotional journey that I talk about and believe it. Even once we were acquired by L'Oreal, it was the largest acquisition in their U.S. history. And they made me the first woman to hold a CEO title of a brand in their hundred plus year history. And I remember being in that position and in that room and in that space and needing to summon the belief that I was qualified for that. Hmm. I talk about the deep stuff in this book that a lot of times CEOs and leaders are embarrassed to talk about because we always have to show up as the leader for our teams, right? Sometimes we always have to show up as the leader for our own families. We have to show up this way because we're the leader. But what about all the real stuff we're dealing with? And I think part of, of really why I wanted to write this book is to really share those real stories behind the stories of the things I failed at and did wrong, wish I had done differently. And also the, the greatest things I, I, I did and the lessons I learned the hard way that, that hopefully will save other people time and money and, <laughs> and, and have stronger teams and save themselves crying themselves to sleep at night. But, but there's some stuff I did wrong that I talk about. And one of those things is I never felt the victories during a long season of a number of years because I was just driving so hard, almost in survival mode to build the business and, and living in burnout. And, you know, I, I talk about for anyone who started a business with a friend or family member or their partner, I talk about the real hard stuff there too, because, you know, I got to the point, Scott, where it was another goal hit, another show hit, another, finally a yes from this retailer. 
um, hiring, building, 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 and just driving um, so hard. And and my husband and I both were in parallel trying to start a family. So in parallel to all this, um, I was going through like fertility treatments and miscarriages and all kinds of stuff, which, which I talk about that personal journey for the first time ever, because that would be going on. But then when those, as leaders, when those hard things are going on internally, you still have to show up <laughs> and lead and inspire your teams, right? And and being able to do that and and um, and still feel the day was something I failed at for a number of years. Being able to do that and still summon joy was something I failed at for a number of years. And it's something when I look back, I would do differently. Um, it got to the point where you know. I was so burnt out and driving myself so hard in the business so hard that, you know, and my husband was too. Um, when I would get a phone call from my own husband, I actually, when I'd see his name on my cell phone, I actually would equate it in my brain to a work call. Like that's where we got to that place. And so, you know, for me, we had the opportunity to go public and probably would have made way more money. And I, I would fantasize about this idea of ringing the bell and all those sexy things. But I also realized if I want to feel the day, live a joyful life, um, all of those things, become a good steward of my own body and a stronger leader for myself, for my family, and even for my own teams, I was at this point, Scott, where I had to trust myself not to trust myself because I was so addicted to work at that point. And I knew if we went public, it would still all be right. on me. I'll right. be on us to carry it. Right. So part of, of why we decided to um, to bring on a partner. Right. Which L'Oreal acquired 100 percent of our business was to make that decision. I want to do this also joyfully. Um, and so you don't need to sell your company to L'Oreal to have this aha moment. But I realized I was doing it wrong. I realized and, and this is something that a lot of people go through this experience where we're really amazing at our jobs or at building teams or leading teams or ideating or creating, but maybe we're not good stewards of a body. Maybe we're not good um, uh, partners, or maybe we're just not even feeling the day and feeling alive and enjoying the journey. And so for me, having that epiphany was huge because if I could do it over again, um, and I protected my teams. I made sure that, you know, that they really were always inspired, that they, uh, you know, we did things that filled everyone else with joy. But as a leader internally, that was, a, that was a, a journey for me to try and get to that point of realization um, of, of celebrating the wins. And so, you know, I have to do that intentionally now. I have to be super intentional about celebrating wins. When Believe It just made the, the New York Times bestseller list, that night I had so much to do and I'm like, nope, you know what? I literally opened a half bottle of wine. <laughs> with, we each had, I was with a friend and we each opened a half bottle of wine. We cheers. I poured it in this coffee mug <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm going to celebrate right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think we have to be so intentional about it because before we know it, the months go by, the years go by, the, you know, the decades go by. And all we ever did was work really, really well. You know what I mean? Jamie Kern-Lima, you are damn smart and you're contagiously positive and inspiring. Your story is a compelling one. You talk about the value of therapy. You share this riveting experience in your 20s of learning 
to your surprise and horror and kind of ultimate delight that you were adopted. You talk about the struggles of your manufacturer selling you out to competitors and all of the lessons you learned on your business. You share the culmination of that lone lady from QVC that came up to your booth and changed your life and how she re-entered your life years later and why that happened. I won't give it away because your story is remarkable. Thank you for all the things you could be doing the last 49 minutes to join us at Franklin Covey to share with our listeners and viewers the journey of your story. I find this idea, you might be tempted to underestimate me, but let me save you some time. Don't. To be a great sort of culmination of your perseverance from this business plan on a honeymoon flight with your husband to South Africa to exiting your firm for over a billion dollars to L'Oreal and still having the the joy and the energy and the, and the, the why to continue to write and to share to people. Thank you for being who you are. We are honored to have had you on today. Jamie, thanks for your time. Oh my goodness, Scott. I have to say, special shout out to you. You've asked me questions no one's ever asked. <laughs> like, like, no one's ever asked. So thank you so much for that. It's such an honor. And yeah, I love that quote. And this book is really for anyone who's ever been underestimated, even if it's them underestimating themselves and, and, and um, how to go from that to unstoppable. But thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And um, I just appreciate you. And yeah, I've never been asked those questions. So <laughs> We're honored that you gave us the time. The book is a great motivator for me. Something I, I, have, I have shared in blogs before, but my family has a ritual. Uh, my wife and I, Stephanie, have been married for about 12 years. We have three boys, three sons that are six, nine, and 10. And we have a family ritual. Every night we gather in our bed, my wife's in my bed, and we turn on QVC. And we watch QVC for about 20 minutes, whether they're selling handbags or cosmetics or blenders or vacuums or grills. And we watch QVC because I find that the host and the guests are so well-spoken, the extemporaneous speaking skills. We count how many ums and uhs and vocalized pauses. (laughs) And we learn from these people because they're so well-spoken whether they're selling wrapping paper or you know troll dolls. Every night we laugh and we giggle, we talk about it, and we learn a lot from QVC. I'm a huge fan of QVC. I've never bought and purchased anything from QVC, but I'll tell you, it's an underestimated brand, and they've certainly invested a lot in you, and I love the stories that you share. Your big aha for me today is that all of us are going to have a pivot point in our life. We're going to have a launching opportunity. And we need to be prepared for that. And you were prepared on your why and your how. You did not compromise your mission, your why, or your values. You picked the right people to support you on QVC, and it launched you well. You worked hundreds of hours for hundreds of weeks, and you deserve all the success that you have, and you're giving back today. You are a perfect model of what our founder, Dr. Covey, would call a transition figure that you have transitioned through your models, through your modeling of your values and your why to countless millions of people and employees. Thank you for all that you're doing for the world. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me also. It's been our honor. Truly, the book is a masterpiece. Jamie Kern Lima, believe it, from the journey of her cosmetics company and all the struggles, the messes and successes 
from her life. I encourage you to pick up a copy. And as she said, 100% of the author proceeds go to this great cause as well. Thank you for joining us. And I'm not sure how we're going to top Jamie Kern Lima as a guest, but we will try to match her with another interview next week on leadership. <laughs>